such obedience, such submission to your Father? How can this be? You, in all your glory, with the Father, before the foundation of the world, and yet choosing to veil your glory, to take the form of a servant, to be born in a manger, coming not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And for that, you are highly exalted. Be exalted on the praises of your people this morning. Holy Spirit, help us to be grateful. Help our hearts to sing. Help our mouths to rejoice and to praise with the breath that you've given us. Thank you for breathing life into us. And thank you for giving us spiritual eyes to see, to see Jesus in all his glory. Now his humble glory. And now help us to have the same mind about us. Although we are co-heirs with Christ, help us to submit. Help us to say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, what an example of humility you are. You are worthy of our worship, and we ascribe it to you this morning. Be lifted high on the praises of your people. And now, Holy Spirit, continue to work in our hearts. Work in Pastor Rick as he proclaims your word boldly. Give us ears to hear. Give us open hearts. Help us not to be afraid of conviction, but to lean in, knowing that you will enable us to obey. You will enable us to be brave and to not fear. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Continue to do your work in us. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen and amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship.
Doesn't that clip inspire you? But the question is, what would be the most important thing that you pass on to all generations? What what is that baton? What is it that you're driven to? What is it that you want to pass on? Well, Paul knows the answer as he sits in his pit in this dungeon that he is now in. He's passing the baton, the gospel to Timothy. And it seems simple, and it is. But it's easy to drop. So what does he do? Is write a letter to Pastor Timothy. He is helping Timothy understand the race and the importance of passing the baton. This is just not a casual note. After encouraging Timothy in the first few verses to develop and use his gift fearlessly and earnestly, He charges them, or charges Timothy, with three imperatives. He he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Share in the suffering for the gospel. And hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me. Now, following these exhortations, Paul then provides examples of individuals who did or actually didn't listen. This is not just about support for Paul. It's about the church and ministry. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come and to worship, to gather as a community, to be able to lift up your name, Lord, if we're honest, some of our weeks have been kind of long. We look at the challenges and the problems and the difficulties. We shout out to you in our prayers. And there's times, Father, you feel distant or you don't listen. At least we feel that way. And so, God, we come before you humbly this morning. We want to hear from you. We want you to convict us. We want you to encourage us. We are so grateful for the Holy Spirit that dwells and lives in each one of us. We thank you for your word. We are grateful, Father, for, well, the songs that we can sing. And the way you begin to change, well, maybe some hard hearts into soft hearts. That's what the the weak circumstances sometimes do for us. Makes us harder, makes us more calloused. So God, we pray that you would soften those hearts, our hearts. That your word would speak to each one of us. That we would understand Paul's heart as he sits in this dungeon and tries to encourage this young pastor. 
Lord, we are so grateful as we are going to talk really about faithful and about deserters. We, we know, God, that as we listen to you, we are inspired. Father, I thank you for Marilyn Bell, whose birthday is today. Lord, 92 years young. And Lord, as I, as I talk with her and as I see her and as I hear about her testimony of your faithfulness to her, she rejoices in you. And we do. Father, we look at other churches who are faithful, proclaiming your word, encouraging those in their community to love you and to love others well. Father, we pray for Grace Point and for Meadowland and for redemption. Father, I pray for all the workers downstairs, for all of our children, for all of our kids, for the ministries that will happen here in this building and outside the walls this week, for the gathering of the saints to be salt and light. Oh, we pray, Father, we would be faithful. We pray, Lord, that we would communicate well. We pray we would care for our kids and teach them. We're so grateful for all the different ministries and all the workers, for all the servants, for all the dedication. We thank you again, God, for the opportunity to meet. Bless our time here, Father. Um, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles or your flat screens, or wherever you can find that, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are going to go through a plethora of people today. Let me remind you again, although this book or this letter is divided up in chapters, that wasn't how it was originally written. It was written on a scroll and sent to Timothy. So after a brief introduction, the Apostle Paul says this, chapter 1, starting at verse 15. As you know, Timothy, everyone from the providence of Asia has deserted me, even Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all of his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. Paul provides then, after encouraging Timothy to be unashamed, some positive and negative examples in order to reinforce this exhortation. Some of us may even bristle at this text because Paul talks about people and say, well, why is he so negative or why is he so positive? 
Well, let me put it in context. In Acts chapter 20, you can turn your Bibles over there, I'm going to read to you Paul's exhortation to the elders at the Ephesian church. And this is what he says. I'm going to start reading at verse 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. He's talking to the elders. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you. And after I leave, not sparing the flock, Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you. My constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now Paul writes, I entrust you to God and the message of grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart from self. Paul says that one of the main reasons that leaders or elders are around are to guard the flock, encourage the flock, protect the flock, to feed the flock. And Paul's in prison And he knows the situation that Timothy is in. And he sends out some warnings. Now, I don't know anything about Phygalus or Hermogenes. I I don't. Except they were part of the army that deserted Paul. My guess is that they were leaders in his church. Asia, at least in the scriptures here, refers to the Roman providence of which Ephesus was the chief city. Paul was disappointed. I sense because these two and all these others who had left had their hands on the plow. They were serving. They were ministering. But they left. He he was hurt, literally, because they turned their backs on him as the spiritual leader when he needed support. We're going to talk about this a little bit more at the end of the letter. But what he was saying, in contrast to the deserters, this army that left, these two people that left, there is faithful Anasiphorus. On Osiphorus. <laughs> Paul loved on Osiphorus, who represented, in my opinion, the army of loyal ministry helpers or partners. Paul was a scholar, a preacher, a missionary, all right? But he knew the value of godly friendships. On an if- Ananiferous, Ananiferous. Maybe I'll call him O. Ananiferous. O. That sounds good. O refreshed Paul. All right. O refreshed. He didn't deplete. 
It, it probably meant, especially in this context, uh, that he was providing food and other supplies. Remember when you were in prison, it wasn't a little bit like our incarceration system today where you were given at least food. Back then, he was in a dungeon, and what he got was provided by other people. So I believe O shared his resources, perhaps even was sacrificial. But I can say this, that when O left the room, when he left the room, Paul was refreshed. He wasn't depleted. Paul says this, that O wasn't ashamed of Paul's chains. He was loyal to Paul and loyal to the message of the gospel. Sometimes I think even today we have a tendency to pick apart leaders or teachers. And sometimes it's justified. But one thing that Paul said about, oh, he was so grateful that just because he was in jail and because he was clear in the gospel, oh, oh was okay with that. And then in this text, it says that, oh, searched earnestly for Paul. And that may sound a little bit odd to us, but remember, Nero was the one in charge at this time. And during his great persecution, visiting a Christian in prison could result in arrest and martyrdom. But O didn't run scared of that. He saw a need, and he wasn't easily distracted. I think the apostle communicated some critical messages to Timothy and to us. He said this, don't abandon me like Phygelus and Hermogenes. Remain faithful to me like, oh, he was a breath of fresh air for me. He encouraged me. I think what Paul was saying is that there are times that godly ministers and leaders need advocates. Seek them diligently. Treasure them continually. Thank them personally. And praise them openly. Then I'd like you to turn your text, if you would, to the end of this letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start looking at verse 9, where Timothy again goes through this litany of people trying again to help Timothy understand what this ministry is going to look like. Now, let me warn you, as we put the next slide up, it's going to be smaller print, all right? We're hoping you have your Bibles. But the reason is, is that during the last part of this message, I'm going to be referring to different parts of this section over and over, and I just want you to be able to see it. So, if you would, let's listen as 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9, is read to us. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, 
Be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas. Also, bring my books, and especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed at Corinth. I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. May the Lord be with your spirit, and may his grace be with all of you. Paul, who is in this dungeon, continues helping Timothy evaluate people and what I would call teammates. People can be a wonderful source of joy or a source of discouragement. Paul says this in the very beginning of this text, that Demas has deserted him. Demas. We don't know a lot about Demas, but we do know he was a ministry leader, that he was part of the church. The word deserted is a strong verb. It means to utterly abandon and leave someone helpless in a dire situation. I get the picture that Demas was an important person in the church. I get the feeling that Paul was exceptionally disappointed. And this was extremely painful for Paul because he was a previous valuable team member and co-worker. People do leave the church in the ministry. But I think what Paul is trying to get across is, is that hurt feels deeper when they've served together. We do know this, is that Demas left for all the wrong reasons. The scriptures tell us that because he loves the things of this life. Now again, Paul is not against comforts or against blessings. But somehow his affections begin to change. It's hard to tell exactly what was meant since the details are not given, but certainly Paul is not seeing this as positive. We know he had misplaced affections. It could have been the lack of comfort or the lack of obedience as he did ministry. And we also know that the things of this life 
can become idols or can become too important or we can make them a priority which would thwart our understanding of God's word and certainly nullify any fruit. We see this in the parable of the soils in Matthew 13 where Jesus was teaching a group of people and said that there was a farmer that threw out seed, that threw out God's word. And it landed on four different soils or four different hearts. The first one was a hardened heart. Nothing even germinated. The second one was, well, landing on shallow soil. And it germinated. It started growing. But it was short-lived because the soil was so shallow. I think the third one is what interested me. Is that the third one landed in weedy soil. And weeds and the seed germinated together and grew. But the weeds sucked out the nourishment and the nutrients of the seed. And there was no fruit. And then, of course, Jesus said (laughs) the ideal soil is one that is tilled and it's tender and it received the word and it blossomed and bore fruit. I think, actually, Demas, well, probably had this heart that when the seed landed, it kind of sucked out all the nutrients and, and that, that he was sharing the nutrients and, and trying to follow God and follow his own desires. And it didn't work. On the next hand is that Paul blesses Crescens, Titus, and Tychicus in spite of their departures. So there is one person, Demas, that left, and it was negative, and Paul saw him as a deserter. But there were three others that left. Crescens and Titus appeared to have been sent out on a mission. Crescens went to Galatia, and Titus till Dalmatia. Now, Crescens is a stranger. We don't know a whole lot about him. But again, he was a trusted friend. He had served with Paul but not Titus. We even have a book in the Bible that Paul wrote to Titus. But Titus had to finish his assignment in Crete where he was the pastor, but he was being sent on a new assignment. I have the sense that Paul's okay with him leaving, but I think Paul selfishly probably would have wanted all these different people around him. But he saw it differently when they went out listening to God. Paul calls Titus his true son and speaks about him as an exemplary friend and a gospel partner. Titus brought comfort to Paul. We see in 2 Corinthians and others. And Titus appeared to be a strong equipper of leaders. Paul trusted Titus to lead struggling churches. We learn that when he went to Crete in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. So just as we put this together, um, it seems like Paul knew there was another struggling church. And it was over in Dalmatia. 
and probably had the same issues. So he sent Titus to strengthen the church and to build up the leaders. In fact, one of the things that Paul loves is when these young leaders respond well and they're able to be sent out and to serve and to minister, handing the baton over and over to different ones. I think God calls special people to struggling churches and ministries. Titus must have been one of those. Now, Tychicus... He was a beloved brother and faithful helper. We don't know, again, a lot about him, but what was really interesting is that he was the mailman who brought the letter to the church at Colossae and the church at Ephesus. You can read that in both of those books. But think about that assignment. Paul writes these letters. These letters are eventually becoming God's word. They are inspired, and he hands it to Tychicus. This is Tychicus. This, <laughs> this is important. This is critical. I need you to be faithful. I need you to stay focused. And I need you to deliver these words to these churches. They need some encouragement. Wow. Luke, he's mentioned, was a loyal companion of Paul. He was a doctor. Luke was also a historian. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. But he was with Paul often. I wonder if Paul was sickly. I wonder if Paul needed a doctor. Or if just he was a loyal friend. It didn't even matter if he was a doctor. Now the story that's really encouraging here as we see this list of people is Mark. Mark's story is so encouraging and inspiring. He started off as a young man with many incredible privileges and opportunities. Mark, number one, was an eyewitness of Jesus. Mark's home, his mother's home actually, was a meeting place for one of the original meeting places for the church in Jerusalem. In fact, think of this. This had to be exciting. Paul chose Mark to join him on his first missionary trip. That's how much he thought of him. But as you read in the book of Acts, Mark didn't finish well. We don't know why. We don't know if he was homesick. We don't know if he was so young. We don't know if the ministry was so hard and he just kind of threw the towel in. But we do get this, is that the Apostle Paul didn't think whatever the reason was, was very valid. You're going to see over and over that the Apostle Paul honors people who finish well. Mark didn't finish well. And if you read in the book of Acts, chapter 15, Paul and, si- or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas wanted to take a second missionary trip. And Barnabas came to Paul and said, hey, let's go get John Mark. Let's take John Mark on the second trip. And Paul would have nothing to do with it. Paul drew a line in the sand. Paul rejected the idea because he saw Mark as a deserter. He started thinking about that. 
a young man who started off really, really well, but somehow got distracted. It was a big deal to Paul. And at the end of chapter 15, you'll see how the church meets together. You'll see how the church disagrees. And literally what happens is, is that the church says, hey, this relationship is not going to work. We're going to send Barnabas and Mark off to one area to encourage the church. And we're going to send Paul and a guy named Silas to another. You say, well, Rick, that's a little depressing. Why is he in there? Because it's not where it ends. This is so cool. Mark was restored later and was present with Paul during his first imprisonment. We find that in Colossians chapter 4. Paul even calls him at this time a co-worker. Well, this is someone that started off well, this is someone that worked with Paul, someone that didn't finish well, someone who was a deserter, someone that wasn't qualified to go on the second missionary trip at all, but somehow Mark learned. He responded so that later in his life, Paul saw him as a co-worker. Now, here's what's cool. Here in 2 Timothy, some 20 years after their separation, Mark makes Paul's short list of reliable friends and companions. Mark's story should give Christians hope. He was restored and put back into the game after a season of failure. Wow. How many times have we dropped the baton? How many times have we started off the race strong? How many times have we thought that this ministry or that ministry would go so well? And maybe things got hard or things got tough. And you stopped. Maybe you stopped praying. Maybe you stopped depending on God. Maybe you stopped asking for help. Maybe you're doing things in your own power and energy. (laughs) But God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't give up on you. God doesn't give up on your pastor. How cool is that? Because each one of us, in spite of failures, can continue to do the ministry through the power and the authority of God. God also used him, and this is so cool, by the Spirit's power to write the gospel of Mark. Now again, it's it's hard to pick a favorite gospel. It just is. But if any of you have a little bit of ADD kind of tendencies, all right, you get distracted really fast. It's probably the book of Mark you want to read. All right, that's the one you focus on. All right, Luke's a little long. Matthew can get a little bit theological. And, well, John's just amazing. But Mark, here it is. He writes one of the Gospels. What a remarkable turnaround. But then the list goes on. Paul talks about Alexander. Alexander had a completely different story. 
Paul notes again that Alexander personally heard him in the gospel. Not only heard the church, but him. Maybe he was talking against Paul. Maybe he was talking against his reputation. Yet Paul uses this situation to send up his pastor friend well. Paul says two things about Alexander as a shepherd to another shepherd. In spite of what Alexander did, this is going to tell you a lot about Paul. This is what he writes. The Lord will judge Paul says, I was hurt deeply. But God is king. God is sovereign. God is in charge. And God will take care of the situation. He's the righteous judge. And God would render the ultimate judgment on this man. He was confident in God. Because God's actions and God's timings are perfect. So many of you go back to the book of Genesis and and you recall the story of Joseph. You talk about an amazing story. It starts about Genesis 48 and goes to the end of the book. This, This guy was just treated unjustly. It just wasn't fair. Uh, He listened to God. He obeyed God. He honored God. And yet, he ended up in prison. The story is so amazing because eventually, his brothers do come to him for food. And he reveals himself. And and the brothers can't believe that Joseph really is this ruler. And what's so amazing about that is they're not that nervous yet, the brothers, that sold them to slavery. But as soon as Jacob dies, (laughs) They're going like, oh boy, we're, we're in trouble. Dad's dead now, and, and, and Joseph's going to string us up. And it's not what happened. It's so amazing because what Joseph literally says is, you know what you meant for evil? You were jealous, you were upset, you were angry. Well, what you meant for evil, God turned it around. God used it literally not only to save our family, but to save the world. Who has an attitude like that? Who thinks like that? Especially if you get put in a position where you're now the authority. (laughs) Put you guys in prison. Yeah, I'm going to show you who's boss. None of that. Grace and love because of his confidence in God. So Paul had the same thing. In spite of how he was treated, God's going to take care of Alexander. And then secondly, he warns Timothy about Alexander. He says, be careful of him. He, He may look okay, but he fights or opposes everything we say and do. And then we get in the passage, as if you can read it up there in your Bibles, uh, Paul just kind of opens his heart. I love this section. He says, Timothy, I just need you to know. You know I'm in prison. You know I'm away. You know Luke is the only one here. All of my good friends are out serving. And there's a bunch of people that have deserted me. And, And he says this. 
I felt abandoned by my friends, but not by God. I love this. Yeah, the circumstances, I look around. I could be feeling sorry for myself, Tim, but I'm not. I'm not. Because God is faithful to me. God is with me now in this prison. It doesn't depend on the circumstances. And if I look at the circumstances, I'm a little bit uh, pained about that. He said this, The Lord stood with me and gave me strength to complete my mission. I felt so lonely before this judge. But God was with me. And God rescued me from certain death. Well, you're not ultimately. We, we know that probably just months and maybe about a year later after this letter was written that Paul was killed. God said, it's time to come home, Paul. But right here, he goes, you've rescued me from death. Yes, the Lord will continue to deliver me from every evil attack until he ushers me safely into his heavenly kingdom. We were singing about this earlier. The guy feels indestructible. He goes, as long as I have breath, God's got an assignment for me. I'm going to listen I'm going to obey. And yes, it looks kind of dismal. I'm in this kind of prison thing. But I want you to know God's protecting me. God has given me life. I am going to complete the mission that God has given me. I'm going to share. I'm going to talk to others. God, you're going to receive glory. In fact, he says, may God receive all glory forever and ever. And I guess what I would say is Paul had confidence in God. He wanted to pass the baton. He knew he wasn't going to be around. He wanted to set up Timothy well. And then almost at the last few sentences of this letter, he says, hey, greet Priscilla in Aquila. These are two co-tent makers. He hung out with them in Corinth. He encouraged them. They were leaders in the church and O's family. He said, uh, Erastus in Corinth and Trophimus is sick in Miletus. And then he mentions Eubulus, Pudgeons, Linus, in Claudia. But they must have been around in that area. We don't know anything about them other than some of their names are rather odd and gross. But I know this, is that these folks, along with all the other brothers and sisters, send their greetings, unknown to us, but they were part of that church. Two times during these last few verses, Paul says this, Timothy, come soon. Timothy, I miss you. Timothy, you're one of my comrades. Yes, Luke is here. I'm not against Luke, but but Timothy, you're something special. And when you come, bring my cloak and my parchments. 
Which to us, okay, if they're asking for everything, cloak. Well, it gets kind of cold here. And parchments, books, probably scriptures. We see a glimpse of Paul's humanness here. He has a rich relationship with God, but he longs for friends and warmth and nourishment. In fact, the way I see it is that Paul reflects on two treasures as the icy grip of death takes hold. You know, I don't know how many of you have been around folks who are dying. I guess in some ways we're all dying, but, but those who may have days or hours left, and, and they still have their cognitive ability. And you listen to what they talk about and what they're hoping for and what they want surrounding them as they breathe their last. You know what Paul says? I want my friends and I want the scriptures. That's what I want. Two treasures that along with his faith in God had sustained him throughout all of his tough times, all of his ministry joys. At the very end, Timothy, would you come? I miss you. Bring the coat. It's, It's cold. But bring the parchments. I want to keep focusing on and God's promises and God's word. You know, Jesus tells a parable. And it's a parable told just about the time where he ate the Last Supper and he was transported to the hill where he died for you and me. And he told us, and he says, You know, I just want you to know that I give gifts. I give talents. And one of the things that's going to be so important, it's not how many you receive. It's that you are faithful. And in Matthew 25, we've heard this so much if you've been part of the church. The words that every one of us want to hear when eventually we see Jesus. (laughs) Well done, my faithful servant. Well done. You, You took the gifts. You invested well. You listened to me. You depended on me. You passed the baton. You passed it on. What I'd like to do just for the next few moments, I'd like you to just bow your heads if you would. Not look around. But I'd like you to be quiet before the Lord. And I'd like you to listen. Just listen. As God's soft voice convicts you, encourages you, What what do you learn from Paul's evaluation of some of the folks in his arena? Some were deserters. 
Some started off well. Some gave him great harm. It didn't really stop Paul or his mission. But he was so grateful for those who surrounded him and were part of the team to advance the kingdom. Are you a deserter? Or are you one of the faithful? And if you're a deserter, that can change. And if you're faithful, it's not a time for arrogance, it's a time for humility. Say, thank you, Lord. Give me the strength today to listen, to obey you tomorrow. Father, I don't know how long you give me. Father, we do thank you for your grace in our lives. We look at what you did on the cross to satisfy God's wrath and to pay the debt for our sin so that we could be redeemed and called son and daughter of yours. We, we don't deserve that and we don't get it. And then, God, you give us opportunities to be able to, well, share with others the hope that you've given us. And that we might be able to pass that baton on. Father, I started off with a question. What would be important enough to keep passing on to every generation? Well, it's the gospel. It's the importance of a relationship with you. It's listening to you in spite of circumstances, even ones that were hard to understand. God, I thank you that you've showed us what faithful looks like. No matter where we're at, no matter what role we have, no matter what you have called us to do, we pray, dear God, that we would be faithful, that we would put our hands on the plow, keep our focus on you. We pray that, dear God. We pray that you would change us. We pray you would change our church. We pray you would change our world through us. We are grateful for Paul's testimony. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's stand and respond, loved ones. strong and worse. 
If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice cause you're there too. I won't be fooled by feelings, I'll hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. take a seat for just a moment. And Susie, you can't take a seat. You've got to come up. And our elders, would you come join me up on the platform here? Let's bring you right over here, Susie. This is a special day. It's a special day because we're going to welcome uh, Susie Harder as one of our new members. But Later on today, in, in just a few moments, we're going to have Hot Dog Sunday, which means some fellowship time. And then we're going to come back up here, and it's our annual meeting. And we're going to be able to gather together and, and really focus on God's faithfulness to us in this church during 2023. We're excited about what God's going to do in us and through us. And uh, we want to say welcome. You've been here a while. And one of the things that we try to do is hand a towel to you. Seems like an odd gift, okay? But this is really a cool towel. You'll, you'll all really want this. And on this towel, it's um, embroidered. Do as I have done to you, Jesus. Jesus. 